0: Welcome to Homegrown, a podcast by Keep Indiana Learning. I'm Carrie Rosebrock. And I'm Lena Darnay. And we are two professional learning specialists for Keep Indiana Learning. Today's episode is all about design thinking. Tim Wellhelmus, Keep Indiana Learning Digital Learning coach, moderated this powerful conversation between Les Macbeth from the Future Design School and Saba Kidwai, host of the podcast, Sprint to Success with Design Thinking.
1: Hi there, my name is Tim Wilhelmus and I am an uh, Innovation Curriculum and Technology Specialist in the evansville Vanderburgh School Corporation and I'm also um, podcasting for Keep Indiana Learning. Uh, this is a part of a s- series of podcasts that we're doing to kind of introduce folks to new ideas and to uh, explore what those might what those ideas might uh, offer us in terms of the classroom. So uh, today we're going to be talking about Um, design thinking and I'm super excited about the folks that we have uh, joining us today to kind of guide us through that and I'm going to let them uh, introduce themselves and so I'll just turn it over to uh, Les first and then uh,
2: Saba after that. Hi, Tim. Great, thanks for thanks for having me here today. Uh, my name is Les Macbeth, and I'm the Director of Special Projects at Future Design School. Uh, we are based in Toronto, but we work with schools and school districts and educators all around the world. Um, and my role there is to design programs that help educators and school leaders to um, embrace their inner experience designers is the way I like to put it. Um, to evolve their practice and really put students and real world learning at the center. Uh, I started my career in design way back in 2005 at an organization in New York City called the Design Trust for Public Space and then uh, shifted careers into education after that. And now I have the wonderful pleasure of working with an incredible team at Future Design School to pull those two things together and really support schools and school leaders uh, all over the world.
3: Hi, everyone. My name is Saba Kidwai, and I believe that cultures of innovation begin with a culture of empathy. And as an education researcher, I examine how design thinking practices, frameworks and strategies can support us in designing those cultures of innovation that allow us to create that change it is that we're looking for. Um, right now, a really big focus of mine is helping develop these skills and strategies within students, specifically high school and college students, and looking forward to chatting with you both today. Thank you all
1: both for being here and, and being willing to be part of this. You know, um, I think I ran across the, the words design thinking maybe back in 2012, and I, and I at first really felt like maybe this was something that was um, not part of my world, but I quickly realized and learned that it that it was part of my world, um, and so I guess maybe the first hump I'd like to get over is just the idea of what design thinking is, and you know, and maybe ask you all also how do you like first introduce that concept to someone who isn't familiar with, with those words.
2: Um, yeah, so I guess for me, uh, design thinking, if I were to define it. I would say it's, it's a, a process and a mindset. Um, but at the heart of it is really um, what Saba had said around empathy and designers solve problems for people. Um, when I'm introducing it to, to teachers, um, I often say you're probably already doing this because I, you know, designers solve problems for people, and teachers solve problems with students every single day. And uh, if empathy is the heart of design thinking, teachers are really experts in empathy in understanding the needs of their students, trying to figure out how they can um, better understand their students in order to create uh, learning experiences or design those learning experiences that help their students learn. So to me, design thinking is something that's kind of hidden in plain sight. It's it's all around us. um, And it comes from these sort of practices of design of architecture and graphic design and industrial design is sort of where it was born out of. But what it's um, I think become is more of a way of looking at problems that starts with empathy and that is optimistic about those problems um, and, and gives you a set of tools and, and, and structures to help teach someone how to solve problems in a collaborative and creative way. Uh, so that would be sort of my high level definition of design thinking. I'd love to hear what Saba has to say.
3: Yeah, so I'm definitely gonna build upon what you said because you said three words that I absolutely loved. Like, first of all, you shared that, you know, design thinking is really about process and mindset. I think, you know, a lot of times people lean way more on the process and we neglect that mindset and how it helps us develop that mindset over time. Um, I've actually been reading a book lately by Kenya Hara called Designing Japan. And I think, you know, to build off of what Les was sharing about, you know, it's all about how we are designing solutions to problems. but I think I think one of the things that I've noticed especially in the last year that people are doing more of is actually evaluating but what do we want so we can design in the service of and Kenya Hara had what I am now leaning on is like my favorite definition of design and he says design is the education of our desires so before we can actually even go about designing things we have to actually first think about okay but what do we desire so as we imagine as we plan for the future how, what do we desire? And then design is how we educate ourselves about bringing those desires to fruition. So it's like one of my favorite, like it just really challenged my own definition of design thinking and I think made it broader for me and I hope it does with the audience as well.
1: I'd, I'd really like to bounce off of uh, something that both of you have kind of come to, which is as that initial stage of, of empathy and, and listening as I came to realize that, um, you know, education really is that act of, of solving problems. As I as I started to, to internalize that idea, then it, to me, um, you know, I started to think about as an English teacher, for example, you know, well, we go through the design process when we are workshopping um, in creative writing or when we are drafting a research paper, when we do things like senior projects or or, that And the other thing that really jumped out to me, um, Saba, is, you know, this idea that we have this mindset that allows us to attach to solving problems, that we believe in ourselves to be able to do that. It strikes me that COVID has done that to us in a lot of ways. We've suddenly had to, you know, knock the rust off of our, our problem-solving skills. And I've noticed that we all sort of naturally fall back to the design thinking sort of cycle um, almost naturally when we're confronted with um, problems as long as we have that mindset that we're going to do it, that we can ultimately solve the problems that we set out to attack. Where where do you all see this fitting in, in the work of teachers?
3: I feel like Les said it so perfectly when she said, you know, teachers are like, you basically said teachers are design thinkers. And I remember, so I did a three-year research study at a school in San Diego called Design 39. And they use design thinking practices in everything they do, from how they design learning, to um, solving for culture challenges, to leadership, to collaboration. They have really been able to do, you know, sort of like what, you know, Tayik and Tobin like challenge that grammar of school, like really break out of those traditional practices of grade levels, Siloed like content areas and you know, teachers working in isolation. And one of the things they said um, is that once they had read through the design thinking framework and the process, and they sort of like, you know, contrasted that to the work that they were doing, they said teachers are inherent design thinkers. Like every single day they are thinking about the needs of the people in front of them who are their learners. But one of the things that I really liked that they shared was that a lot of times we're so fixated on the needs of just our students that we forget about the needs of ourselves and each other. And so they one of my favorite things that I observed there was how they use design thinking to break out of that culture of isolation. You know, what are, what are our needs as educators to be able to do our best to fulfill the needs of our learners? And so that's really where I am enjoying Watching it the most right now is in watching people break away from traditional practices and thinking about what do we as adults need to be successful so that we can give our best to our learners.
2: I love that. I'm so glad you were able to work with that team at Design 39. I met a few of them a few years ago um, at South by Southwest in Austin, and they were just a fantastic group of of educators uh, working on that campus there. So um, what a great experience that must have been Saba. I think I, w- I would agree around the it's kind of like an aha moment I find for educators, when they first are introduced to design thinking as part of my work with future design school I I think I've probably worked with. Maybe 10,000 teachers over the past five years and teaching them about how to use design thinking and, in particular, one of our PD programs is, is something we call hack your curriculum where you're looking at your um your curriculum and your learning goals for your subject area, and then combining that sort of like with a Venn diagram of like what's a real world problem that relates to this, and then how can you teach that curriculum through solving a real world problem, and and what are the skills and competencies that you're building along the way as you're doing that, and I think that. For most teachers, when they the, the, the experience is kind of meta because they sort of they learn design thinking by doing design thinking, but what they're planning is or what they're designing is an experience for their students to do design thinking. So it's kind of like we're using it on multiple levels um with teachers. And uh I think a lot of them uh, just kind of realize that, yeah, I, I have been doing this um, in my own practice in terms of what I'm designing, and I can also leverage it with students to help them to solve these real-world problems. And if we think about, you know, what are employers looking for in the future, the all of the research is saying that problem solving in teams, critical thinking, um, innovation, creativity, uh, the ability to deal with complexity and ambiguity, and and communication skills are really those like key things that students are going to need to be successful. And so if they can learn the curricular uh, goals um, while also developing those skills and competencies, then you kind of have this magic that happens. And for me in my own classroom, that was, that was the magic, right? When you had students who were really grappling with things, they were trying out different solutions, they were learning from failure. Um, and I think that learning is stickier um, Than just memorizing something from a, from a textbook, right? So that sticky learning, I think, is is part of the magic. Um, and then at the same time, as Sava mentioned, teachers can be using it to solve their own problems in their in in the school. Um, we work with a lot of school leaders at Future Design School to do strategic planning that is human centered. Um, human centered design is sort of a, a synonym for design thinking. They uh, and taking that human centered approach to strategic planning with schools can be super powerful. So. Um, Yeah, people will often ask me, how do you see design thinking? And I'm like, everywhere, (laughs) it's everywhere, but it's, um, it's just the principles behind it that I think are really powerful. You're
1: both making me think about the questions we ask. And that to me is so um, compelling. And I, you know, sometimes I think about, for example, you know, in our district, we've gotten pretty good at using um, professional learning communities to, to talk about the curriculum in teams and to try and, and improve the work that we're doing and improve the, the learning experiences for our students um, and the outcomes, of course, as well. Even PLCs, for example, are a model that comes from someone who had already done the design thinking around what a PLC is and how it functions well it's so much easier just to feel frustrated with a system than to ask the, the relevant questions about how do we overcome that system or, or bringing design thinking into into a school or into the classroom is about empowering people to ask the questions that otherwise they might not have felt empowered to ask.
2: I think that's so true. Um, and there's there's two things out of that that I, I would love to just like share little stories on. Um, One is around that idea of asking the right questions and and empowering people, not just to ask the right questions, but also to share their experiences. Um, And part of the strategic planning work that I mentioned, we have. A process um, that we go through with schools where we actually conduct that user research on behalf of the school leadership, where we're going out and we're talking to students, we're doing focus groups, we're um, doing interviews with teachers, um, with parents, with different stakeholders in the community to really find out like what's really going on in the district and how can school leaders have better insight into that. And one of my, my favorite examples of how that can uncover amazing things uh, comes from a school district that we were working with where we went out and we were doing all of these interviews and it's voluntary. No one's forced to participate in these focus groups, but it's kind of you know who would like to come and share their experiences. And all these students were talking about this one teacher They were saying, you know, Mr. So-and-so, his class, like we do the funnest things in his class. We learn so much. He's really, you know, empowered me as a learner. He's made me feel confident in myself and all these amazing things. But that teacher hadn't volunteered to be part of any of our focus groups. And so we were wondering, like, what is this teacher doing in his classroom? We'd really like to know. And so we went to the principal and said, you know, would we be able to to reach out to this teacher? Because his name keeps coming up and the kids just love him. And Um, And we went and spoke to the teacher and what he said to us was well I didn't participate in any of your interviews because I thought it was all about innovation and I don't use any technology in my classroom. And he had this idea that future design school is this you know we're coming in and they must be interested in in technology because of like sort of those uh, connections that people make between innovation and technology. And when we started talking to him, he realized that he didn't actually realize that what he was doing in his classroom was super innovative. And I think that was super empowering for him and also for the school to to recognize those amazing things that are happening in pockets and think about how do you amplify those. So I think that user experience or that user discovery piece can be really empowering um, in terms of people recognizing uh, the things about themselves that they didn't already know. Um, And in terms of the empowering to ask the right, or empowering people to ask the right questions, it makes me think of what actually inspired me to become a teacher in the first place was working with a a group in Brooklyn called the Center for Urban Pedagogy. Uh, And they're an amazing nonprofit group that goes out and works with students in schools and works with adult learners to help them to understand um, design and public policy. It's like taking really complex things and trying to simplify them. But one of the things they do is they um, make uh, documentary films with high school students, and I was working with some students on a project called The Good, the Bad, and the Empty, and it was about empty lots in East Brooklyn um, where there was a lot of real estate speculation, a lot of, you know, problems with some of these like abandoned buildings and things. And giving these kids a microphone and having them go out and ask people questions, like saying, to, you know, we're going to set up an interview with you and a city councillor, and you're going to be able to ask the city councillor any questions you want about your neighbourhood. And the students, they're like, the the way that you saw them change, even their like their posture and their, the way that they thought about themselves and their their uh, identity as a citizen in the community so much about it changed just by empowering them to ask questions and it was that experience that made me quit my job in design and go and become a teacher because it was just like i'd never experienced anything like that and that empowerment of saying to kids you know there's problems in in the world that are that you're affected by and we're going to help you solve them and give you a skill set to do that i think is just like the best thing <laughs> to be inarticulate about it it's just the best thing <laughs> so
3: i love that i mean let, that agency component i think is so powerful to have as a young person to know that you can make impact to know that you aren't helpless in your scenario personal school related you know down the line professional however you know it is um, that you're thinking about it and it's one of the observations i think i've had a lot Um, in listening to people think through things. I think especially teachers is that need for permission Waiting for somebody else to tell you, sure, it's okay to try this, or you have an idea, yeah, go for it. It's almost like people are waiting for somebody to tell them it's okay. And so I think giving people a sense of that agency and purpose from a really young age allows you to just look at things from a completely different lens and gives you confidence, I think, in a lot of ways to know that you're not helpless. You don't have to wait for somebody else. And I think it's one of the, you know, I hope it's not an opportunity that we miss as communities is a lot of times they think, you know, we're so used to standardization. We're used to the one size fits all model that we're waiting for that policy for somebody to tell mm-hmm. us like what will that new normal look like? And what is school going to look like, you know, come September? And I think one of the biggest opportunities we have for leaning into design and using it as a as a scaffold to guide us and something to hold on to because the work is so overwhelming. It can feel really stressful, but I think the design thinking frameworks give you the confidence in the scaffold to be like, okay, I have no clue what this might look like. I have no idea even maybe even how to do this, but here's the framework. Here's how to have the conversation. Here's how to move through these steps so that I can get from idea to action or sometimes from dream to action mm-hmm. is I think, you know, Everything can look different for every single community right now. And that really leads back, I think, into that empathy piece of what does your community need? And even sometimes within a district, right? You may have like 10, 12 schools with each of them needing something very, very different. And I think giving people the permission to have a shared vision, but be able to design their own pathways is something I think really special that could come out of this that again just helps us break away from standardization. Um, I love your point about asking questions. I remember the first time um, it was back in 2014. I was teaching a um, graduate capstone course at a um, at, U- at USC, and the students were in the medical field and the, they were about to graduate. And it was so funny because on the first day, their their challenge is to really come to class with a set of challenges they've seen over the different you know residencies that they've done and experiences that they've had out in the field. And it's so funny because on day One, they come with problem solution and everything like all mapped out ready to go like we know what we're doing we have our problem we have our solution and we're ready to go create it like how quickly can we get this done and it's so interesting to help them kind of step back into that beginner's mindset because so often you know they they feel like they know what the answer is. If people just did this, like I remember they always used to say, if our patients just did this, then everything would be okay. And I think we all come in with that mindset. And it's really interesting when you sort of, you know, start to peel back the layers, you realize like, oh my God, I had no idea that this is why this was a challenge for you. And a lot of times we frame it as challenges, but sometimes it's opportunity too, right? Like design uncovers opportunities. So it's like, wow, I had no idea like you were even interested in this, like I can, you know, that just opens up my thinking in a different way. And so I just remember like asking those questions, having them take a step back, doing those empathy interviews and observations was a really, really profound moment um, and challenging their own thinking about what they thought the right, you know, quote unquote answers were to things they were examining.
1: Absolutely. I've had those same experiences too, where uh, with students, even when you get them to pause for a moment and just go back and really consider the process and product being the point and giving kids an opportunity to do a little bit of thinking and reflection and wondering. That to me is, is one of those places where the magic happens, but the rewards of investing in that time um, or creating the space for that time at the, at the front end um, can be so powerful. Um, you know, part of the whole design thing is actually taking the time to, to care about the work you're doing, to care about the authenticity of the work that you're doing. Well, let's talk about that with, with kids. It, 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 it feels to me like um, there is this space to be um, bringing that out in our students, right, to, to be creating for them the, the permission. And I totally agree with that idea of, the, you know, letting them feel the permission. And I think they rely even more heavily on us as teachers to provide that permission than we do, say, um, to districts or to, you know, the state legislature to provide the permission. Are there are there um, recommendations that you can make to kind of start thinking about what that might look like?
3: I can share one, you know, unless you refer to this earlier when you talked about like how like the future of work is dependent on like teamwork and collaboration and things like that. One of the most interesting observations and like realizations I had while um, researching at design 39 was how many sort of like layers exist that are hidden beneath that concept that aren't apparent yet are fundamental to the success of our ability to collaborate to a certain depth and at a certain level. Like a lot of times I think we think of collaboration sometimes way too surface level, like, oh, let's just put a PLC together or we're we're working on a doc together and we can see what the other person is writing while I'm writing. And collaboration isn't about I mean, yes, that's collaboration in, in a sense, but it's so surface level. Collaboration is really about what, like, having that self awareness of what your strengths are and being able to come to the table together with a team to be able to build and design something that independently perhaps you would not be able to, right? Like, what are your strengths? What are my strengths? How are we, like, you know, building together to create whatever it is that we are trying to design for? It? And so, one of the, um, the best books, I had a chance to interview the, this couple on my podcast, their book is called Radical Alignment, and they talk about the importance of trust and psychological safety, right? And I think Amy Edmondson at Harvard is really sort of like the go-to guru, right? Like on that concept of psychological safety, like how we create these cultures of trust and safety ultimately allow for the depth of collaboration we'll be able to have. And so what I loved about their book was they had this really beautiful, simple, like four box like framework um, and it's called ICBD. So it's like, you know, before you even think about collaborating on a project, they used to have people go through this framework that like with all things design big then ultimately becomes just an organic part of how you communicate and how you work with other people and connect with them and so the four areas they have people share when they come together to work on a project are intentions like what are our shared intentions for the work it is that we want to do together Um, what are our boundaries right like thinking about the again another really big theme that's come up for people this past year is like self-care like okay well personally and professionally like what boundaries do we want to set for one another Um, concerns as we go into this project like what are some of our concerns what are our fears it was another thing they used to do at design 39 was like if all of this goes wrong what's the worst thing that could happen and there's just a release of like pressure from sometimes getting that thought out of your head and just onto a piece of paper and like sticking it up and away somewhere so concerns like what are the things we're concerned about and then the last area they look at is dreams if all of this was to go well what would the outcome be and I think that vision of what can go well balanced with concerns, with an understanding of your boundaries and shared intentions is just such a fabulous way of starting a project versus like the usual, like we come together, okay, this is what we need to do. Okay, how are we going to do it? And a lot of times it ends up in like a venting session or, you know, like just just random ideas being thrown around with no actual actions attached to them. This was a really beautiful framework, I thought, for helping set set the set the foundation for what it is we want to do together so that's my one favorite strategy
2: I think that's so great um and the that idea of the cons uh, I think the concerns and the dreams when it comes to the students if we're thinking about doing this in the classroom with the students oftentimes the biggest concern for students of like the what will go wrong is um is their grades right I used to I used to have students push back on me all the time where right? I'd say you know I, you know, it doesn't matter about your grades, we're teaching you real skills like collaboration and communication and critical thinking that you're going to need. You know, that's what you need for your job. And they would say, Miss Macbeth, grades are real to me. Like, that is my real concern is how do I get an A? And in other classes, they were used to, they knew the game of school, right? Like I, I taught juniors and seniors, they they knew how to jump through the hoops and, and get the right answers to get the 95 that they needed to get into the, the program they wanted to in university, right? And that was real for them. And so, that concern of of how do I get the right answer when in design thinking there's so much ambiguity and there's so much, but maybe there isn't a right answer. I think it took some time and and work with the students to help them let go of some of those ideas of just tell me what to do next. I wanna know the right answer. And that's, I think where the systems and the structures of design thinking can come into play. I found the more that I structured the process and, and gave them a system um, to come up with ideas and to think about their ideas. And even when things went wrong, to unpack like kind of that post-mortem of like, what, why didn't it work? And and you can, you can build a prototype that fails and still get an A if you can tell me why it failed. Uh, you know, and helping them understand how they were going to be assessed on this. Um, what did success look like? And doing that, you know, co-creation of success criteria with your students at the beginning of the project, like success doesn't necessarily look like you finding the right answer, but it looks like you learning from failure and and taking feedback from your peers and incorporating it into your ideas. And um, I think that was really important. So we didn't use the IBCF uh, or IBCD um, framework, but I love that. And I think it's it's a great way to frame it at the beginning to help deal with some of those fears. Because I think you're right what you said, Tim, about how it does come down to permission in a lot of ways, like giving students permission to do things differently. And I found that those sort of high flyer students were often the ones that struggled with this the most um, because they were used to that game. And and I think for teachers, it's about learning how to craft a scenario where you can almost like back into the standards. We often refer to that when we're working with teachers is like you're going to pose a big question to students and then students are going to spend that time, as you mentioned unpacking that big question. Like I'm, one of my units I used to teach was around, um, how might we create a more sustainable food system? And that's a big question. And, you know, we'd have these 11th graders who'd be like, what? like, there's like billions of dollars being spent on this. Like I'm, I'm 17. What do you want me to do with it? Um, and so, but by having them unpack that and realize that like, okay, part of this is like the decline of our, our pollinators, you know, bees are dying, that's one problem. Another problem is like pesticide runoff into our lakes and rivers, that's another problem. Then we got like the whole health side of like diabetes and obesity and all those problems. And, and then they would get to pick a problem that was interesting to them, um, that was related. And then I was figuring out as the teacher, okay, how do I make sure that I sort of coordinate this in a way that my students are learning the content they need to need, need to know but they're doing it through this process of problem solving. And so when it comes down to that question of how do I find time in my class to let my students do this, often I find it's the like sort of feeding the students the right information at the right time and kind of like being a, a ringmaster in a circus to sort of orchestrate uh, them going down the right And sometimes like you know, I had one student who came to me one year and was like, Miss Macbeth, I really wanna make fabric out of kombucha. And I was like, okay, I think you misinterpreted when I said food system. I didn't mean we were going to make clothing out of food. But but then I said, if you can tell me how this relates to these standards, like I literally gave her the curriculum and was like, this is the standards we have to meet. If you can tell me how you making fabric out of the slime off of the top of kombucha, which is a thing I learned, um, meets that criteria, then you go ahead. And she came back and she had done all this research about the cotton industry and the leather industry and how it was related to pesticide and all these other things. And I was like, all right, go for it. Make your fabric in a you know? So sometimes it's us as teachers needing to be a bit more flexible. And look um, at the
1: passion that grew out of that. That's just so amazing to me. Um, so you, forgive me for being the, the English teacher geek that I am, but like I've been listening to the words that have been coming by. and And honestly, I'm starting to think, so we had talked about permission as an idea, and then um, even though I don't know if we said the word, Saba, what I heard from you was was protocols, right? Um, this idea of having pieces in place structure our our process, putting in place the opportunity to practice that, because I think that is one of the things that I've noticed with students, and and you know, uh, Les, you kind of raised that question in a way, you know, that we have students who have have learned a process, a school process. And when we present them with a new a new process where we want them to maybe not have quite as much um, structure, that starts to feel like you're flying without a net a little bit. So that practice piece becomes super important, or else the kids feel uncomfortable. But then when we can get to that point where the protocols have built what we need them to build and they've ha- and the kids have had the permission to take risks and and practice, then that's where that, that passion seems to just find itself. And that's, that's so exciting to watch. Um, so if I'm a teacher who this is all new to me, you know, I'm interested, but like, I need more, where would you send somebody to, to start exploring the idea of design thinking as part of their practice?
3: So I can start, I would say, so as I first just also want to make a point that I think while there is a lot possible that we can do in our individual classrooms, mm-hmm. I think it's just really important for people to recognize, especially leaders, to recognize these environments cannot be established in isolation. Like I would want no teacher to leave here feeling, I need to become a design thinking expert and I need to be doing all of these projects. And It, it is an unfair expectation. I think that we have right now of educators that you will do all these new innovative practices in isolation. Sure, we'll give you your one hour PLC time or your this and that here and there. But I think we have to recognize this is a really 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 unfair expectation when we are not changing our grading practices when we are not changing our schedules and I think that's really really the biggest hindrance is that 50 minute block and then expecting teachers to be able to like prepare students for this new completely different dynamic of a world without changing the foundational structures that exist so really want to put that caveat as a teacher I'm a former social science teacher myself so I just really want to put that out there that we have to have to change these environments for educators so that we can create what it is is that we hope what it is we desire right like going back to that beginning definition um one of my favorite places to start is actually, um, it's a game almost that was, that was created. It's called the Extraordinaires. And I will send you a link to this so you can link it in your blog post. But what I love about the Extraordinaires is it allows people to step outside of their content space, their profession, and almost go into a bit of a fantasy space to be able to sort of have that beginner's mindset. It's really, really challenging if you try to take sort of like, you know, I'm a social science teacher. How can I use design thinking in my class that's overwhelming but what i love about the extraordinaires is it's basically a game and they give you these characters and each of the characters has a design challenge that you solve for so you might have a mermaid and you're designing a utensil for her um, or you're designing a house for her or a piece of clothing for her But what I specifically love about the game is they have prompts that guide you. I sort of equate this for like Genius Hour, when like people are like, sure, kids, like, what do you want to learn? What are you excited about? And they're like, blank, like, they have no clue where to even begin. So there are these prompts and these things that guide us along the way because these things are new for us, whether you know you're young, unless I would say like, you know, third grade and up, right? Like, under that, they have all of this naturally. We like take it away from them. But I would say what I love about this game in particular is it gives the prompts. So even as an adult, if you're struggling to think of like a creative idea, it gives you different prompts for you to think about. And I have yet to have an experience where somebody doesn't take that and then correlate it to what they do in their classrooms. Like, oh, like, so I could use this, you know, you said you were an English teacher, then the biggest, I think, you know, moment of discovery for an English teacher is like, oh, so, you know, we're reading this book, I could have these characters be the characters in the book, and I could even use these prompts to help my students go through that process. So, it's, so I feel like that is probably one of my all-time favorite activities. And then the one book I would recommend is Sprint. I feel like a lot of times we, especially in education, we lean a lot on like sort of like the Stanford D school model and like, you know, I call it like the hexagon mentality. We're just jumping through those five hexagons. (laughs) But one of my favorite, favorite books um, and just favorite sort of like, you know, where I feel like I've seen the most growth in my own thinking around design is from the, the design sprint community um it's a book called sprint how to solve and i actually have it right next to me how to solve big problems and test new ideas in just five days and again just really gives people the protocols like if you have something that you want to do five days is what it's going to take for you to go from idea to action and actually be able to test something out so one game one book and you know best of luck to everyone
2: i think there, there's uh, so many things that you said there that are really important and i think one of that i would the first thing i would recommend is similar to what saba said around going through the experience yourself as an educator um, I know um, a lot of educators that I've worked with through my work with the Google Innovator program, um, they come to the Google Innovator program, which is a, a program for teachers to come, and they use a design thinking process to solve a problem related to education. And for them, going through that process for the first time is often the, like, I see so many applications for this and the same thing, we have a, a lot of programs at Future Design School. I mentioned Hack Your Curriculum earlier and we have another just introduction to design thinking and we have a design thinking certification where teachers go through the process themselves and it could be a problem related to their classroom or it could be something entirely different. Like I wanna solve a problem in my community or something that I see um, elsewhere in the world that I think is a, a worthy problem because I think when you go through it yourself, you start to see all of those other applications. Um, And so I think starting with your own experience is really important um, before you you try it with students. Um, in terms of supports for trying with students, I'd be of course um, remiss to not mention the, the resources that we have at Future Design School. We have a book called the Design Thinking Playbook that sort of watch teachers t- through the process, but it's also reflective. So built into the book, are there there's moments to pause and think about how could I apply this piece of empathy with my students? Where else am I teaching empathy in my classroom already? Um, how does that relate to this? And and knowing that you can do it in pieces, right? You don't have to go through the whole design thinking process with your students all at once you could say you know what I'm going to spend the next unit we're just going to work a lot on empathy or we're just going to work a lot on on creative um, brainstorming and we're just going to do that and we're not going to do the whole thing all at once I think is really important and we also have curriculum resources related to things like genius hour or doing independent projects where we scaffold that process of helping students to because it's true you ask them you know what are you passionate about and kids will say like soccer (laughs) you know (laughs) it's like well okay well How can we go deeper than just that? And so how can you help students to go through that process of understanding um, how they can have more autonomy, mastery, and purpose in their learning to sort of steal from from Daniel Pink? And then I think that um, looking beyond education, as Saba mentioned, um, is also a really great work, uh, our really great practice. Um, Our work at Future Design School is informed by the entrepreneurs and designers and engineers that we have on our team who help us to build those programs and think about that real world connection. So try to find people that inspire you from outside education or try to find those real world opportunities from outside education that connect with your subject. If you're a geography teacher like what, what was it that made you passionate about geography in the first place? And go back to that and think about what are the applications of geography in the real world and how can I infuse more of that into my classroom? And starting there um, might lead you towards a place where you start to embed some design thinking structures um, into that practice. And I also wanna just applaud what Saba said around the leadership piece. You yeah. know, um, that's such an important factor in, in making all of this come together is making sure our, our schools are designed to allow for this, and so that teachers aren't working against a system, and they're working in a more symbiotic relationship in that way.
1: Oh, I 100%, I'd I'd like to elevate that myself, just because I've worked in environments where if the right team is is in place leadership-wise, those permissions come very easily, and the space to innovate come very easily, and it really does take culture being built around the idea, and not Feeling like you're that one poor soul behind behind their door, um, trying to make that work. I I have an anecdote that kind of goes with that. My wife decided one year that she was gonna do all project-based learning for the year, and that first semester was miserable for her because there was no one else in the building teaching that way, um, and her kids came in with expectations. They just wanted to play the game that that they'd been playing, you know, rather than make changes. And when one person asks those changes, then then they carry that burden. Whereas if we're all kind of working together and creating those opportunities, it's, it's different. I know that we've just scratched the surface, but that's sort of the purpose of this podcast is to just scratch the surface and kind of open the, open the door just a little bit for people um, in case they want to stick their foot in and, and peek around the corner. Um, And I'm so grateful, Les and Saba, to both of you for your insights and and for your sharing uh, the resources that you've shared. Um, Any
2: last words? Remember to have fun. Like, that's what it's all
3: about, right? So bring back the fun. Yeah. That's literally what I thought with The extraordinaires. It's like, it's so much fun. Like, just like literally releases like all the pressure and tension, like about trying to design something and create something and really just lets you lay back and have fun. So I'm so glad you've experienced that.
2: Again, thank you guys so much. Thanks, Thanks. so much, Tim. I, I saw about it's really been really great to chat with you and and Tim. I was going to say I, you
0: too. I, I really for enjoyed this together. It's
2: it's such so refreshing just to have these uh, these conversations about passionate people doing interesting things in education. So thank you, Tim, for sharing these stories with teachers in Indiana. It's
1: amazing. I'm, I'm grateful, and you know, I've I've, if I've learned one thing in my career: you put teachers together, they'll talk, talk. shop. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Tim. That was amazing. Thank you to our guests and thank you to our listeners. We're happy you found us here at the Keep Indiana Learning Homegrown Podcast. Check out our other podcast, Systems Talk for School Leadership. Systems Talk is powered by Keep Indiana Learning and it's a podcast for school leaders who seek to improve clarity creating systems in their organizations. There's so much more in store from Keep Indiana Learning. Register for the Keep Indiana Learning Virtually Different Summer Conference on June 29th and 30th by visiting keepindianalearning.org. The conference is only $25 for two days worth of content that will live for 12 months after the conference. Best yet, if you are a pre-service teacher, you can register for free. Sign up today at keepindianalearning.org. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Homegrown, a podcast by Keep Indiana Learning. Like what you heard? share on your favorite social media channel, tag us, and leave a review. Homegrown is available on all major podcast servers and at keepindianalearning.org.